it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Another Monday, another Prospects Baseball Show. This is episode five. My name is Dean Millard, and as always, the head coach and assistant general manager of the Edmonton Prospects, Jordan Blundell, joins me in the studio. Welcome back to the Marsh. How are you? Hey, Dino, I'm good. Uh, looking forward to a great show today. We got a uh, pretty cool guest coming on, I think. Yeah, we have an absolute stud joining us today. Matt Stairs, of course, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame member, will be in Edmonton, where, of course, he played for the Trappers at one point on July 7th weekend for the Western Canadian Baseball League All-Star Game, which you guys are hosting. So Matt Stairs is going to join us today. And it is going to be an awesome conversation. He is uh, holds the Major League Baseball record for most pinch hit home runs. We're going to talk to him about his uh, favorite ballparks to play in, the different fans. We'll get some advice for young ball players that he'll be speaking to, and uh, just some uh, you know memories and and his road to get to Major League Baseball is a is a pretty interesting one that we'll get into as well. Um, okay, here's a couple of ways you can get in touch with us throughout the show, and um, you will want to do that because we lead the league in contests, that's for sure. You can email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com for all your general inquiries and to enter some of our contests. On Twitter, we're at prospectspod, at jordanblundell4, at Millard. And uh, for all information regarding the team, it's at EDM Prospects. We have our Facebook page. The website is prospectsbaseballshow.ca, and that's where you can enter some of our contests that we're going to get to as we roll along. And for tickets and everything Prospects, it is prospectsbaseballclub.com. So those are the particulars. Uh, We will uh, go uh, around the horn today. We'll have history class, baseball memories, where you can win some baseball tickets. We'll talk fantasy baseball. We'll have take me out to the ball game trivia. And our closing segment will feature our all-time team. We're doing third base today. That's your position. This is your segment. I love it. You grew up as a third baseman. This, this, like last week we did shortstops and that was the one that I was into because I loved uh, shortstop. It was my favorite position in baseball. But this is the position, like I play it in MLB The Show. But this is, you actually played this in real baseball, this position. So yeah. is this going to be hard for you? Do you have like 20 oh, favorite yeah, third basemen? Yeah, there's so many. Uh, it, it, like I, I grew up playing everywhere, Dino. I grew up as a, the little guy on the team and uh, I was a second baseman and I played a couple years there. Always was on the mound, uh, caught a little bit, ended up playing a little bit of shortstop uh, kind of by chance, a couple of times with different teams. Uh, one year in Wichita, I played summer ball as a shortstop. Um, coming up through high school, I played some first base, and you know I'm not the biggest or the you know the prototypical first baseman. And you know, honestly, there's uh, I wanted to not be just a first baseman, so I really worked hard and and, and tried to improve on the other side of the field, and then got an opportunity, and uh, it kind of like the the position maybe kind of chose me a little bit, being a goalie. And it helps over there at the hot corner. So some of those instincts and reflexes from from playing the sport of hockey definitely helped me at third base. And 
um, yeah, I was able to, to stick over there and got to play every day down in the U.S. in college. So we'll talk third base today on uh, our all-time team. And then versus now, we're going to focus on pinch hitting. We're talking to, uh, you know, statistically the greatest pinch hitting home run hitter of all time on the program today. So it's kind of only fitting that we will talk pinch hitting then versus now. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. All right, as we go around the horn, um, Unfortunately, not the greatest week for you guys. Uh, you fall to nine and eight uh, in the standings. You drop to third place. Uh, four of five you have lost. Um, and I, you know, I was at yesterday's game, and from what I saw, we had to we had to take off before your big comeback. But they were just hitting it where you weren't, and that's either really good hitting or struggling with pitching. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, a little tough one to take there yesterday. Uh, you know, maybe we didn't didn't have our best effort. Uh, I don't think until later in the game. And you know, credit to the to the guys. Uh, they, they battle. You know, they compete. Uh, they, they grinded it out and tried to tried to put some back on the board there. They they found a way to make it close. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we, we came up a little bit short there Sunday. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's frustrating to watch that happen, uh, you know, to, to your pitcher and to your defense, you know, balls finding holes. And, um, you know, back to the drawing board, you know, maybe we can execute a little bit better or, or look at positioning the guys a little bit differently. You know, maybe our game plan uh, prep-wise on the coaching staff can uh, change a little bit and, and help provide uh, maybe a little more clearer picture of how we want to attack their guys or maybe adjust off of what they're doing to us a little earlier so you know it's a it's a group effort whether we win or lose and and uh yeah I'm proud of the guys for the way they battled so we're getting to know each other a little bit through this this show that we're doing so I don't know you that well but you seem to be a pretty calm guy um you know you, you're excitable and and like all of us but you seem to be like maybe a slow burn kind of guy um, are you the, uh, like, have you done the, uh, the Bull Durham, uh, speech where he, th- you know, throws the, uh, the bats into the shower and freaks out? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! Or are you kind of more of a, like, a, let's, uh, a, a, a wait and see approach and, how do you handle the the losing four or five? Yeah, you know it's it's not fun. You know it's definitely not fun, and uh, good to get one in there Saturday and get that feeling back. And that's that's what I love about that the was game. a good pitching performance. For oh, you. it was great. Hunter was uh, was dynamite on the mound for us again. You know that that's the feeling that I think that uh, you know I'm attracted to this game so much is, is that feeling of accomplishment after a win. It's not easy to get wins um, at any level from Pee Wee all the way up. You know the the satisfaction of getting a win and and knowing how many guys contributed and worked hard to get it. Uh, so that's what keeps bringing me back. You know, obviously losing is not fun and it's not fun in any. But sport. it's a long year, you know that for sure. You know, we're we, you know we're not going to be perfect and um, we're going to lose some close ones. We'll win some close ones. You know, at the end of the day, we we're hopeful that we win more of them than we lose. Um, you know, as far as I don't think there's one way to to, to describe me you know like for sure I have emotions um you know I, I get really excited for guys when they when they have something cool happen for them that that's I take a ton of pleasure in watching others you know succeed and and smile and uh, that's awesome for me to experience and that's part of the why I do get part of the reason I do this is, is for that feeling and 
you know, there's some things that frustrate you as a manager and as a, you know, a, a baseball person and, and somebody that's trying to make in-game decisions and adjustments. You know, there's definitely some things that frustrate you throughout throughout a game. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I know the guys are, are here for the right reasons and they're, and they're, they're trying their best. And then it's not like they're trying their best. Like they're here to compete. You know, they want to do well. Uh, there's no question about that. So, yeah, you get a little bit frustrated when things don't go your way. And, and hopefully, um, I think I have matured since I first started doing this as a uh, you know, profession back in, in 2005. I've definitely matured and, and slowed my role. And, um, you know, it's, uh, there, there's some things that need to be addressed. So, you know, you get the, 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 the bull Durham locker room scene for sure. It's, it's pretty funny. You ought to get the ball around the empty. You lollygag your way down to first. You lollygag in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. Are you doing that one? Yeah, you know. Maybe the, not so, uh, maybe not quote for quote word Yeah, for you word. know, it, uh, that's, what was that, 1988? So it's 2019. Maybe some of the, the, the terminologies changed a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know for sure if... Uh, you know, little kids need to hear some of the things that get said every once in a while. And, and, you know, I'm not proud of that, but, uh, it's not Bruce Boudreaux style, but, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be some things where we're men in the clubhouse and sometimes things come up. So, um, yeah, just excited for the guys to get back, uh, get back at it on Tuesday. It's a, it's a road trip coming up and, and, you know, frankly, we didn't have a great trip to Regina. Um, and, and you know, like I said, the, the, the earlier, like the first game was, it was kind of a weird game. We lost seven, two in Regina and, we didn't play poorly, um, and, and they didn't. They didn't pound us. They didn't. It was just kind of a weird game that ended up seven two. You know, we weren't able to do enough to not let that happen. Um, and then you know, we play a fourteen inning marathon game. You know, just drains your resources. <laughs> wow, it's tough to lose that one. You know, you're on the road. You'd love to split that series and go into the the rubber match the next day, right? Um, yeah, tough one. You know, our bullpen matched their bullpen. Uh, you know. Pitch for pitch, except for the last one where they were able to get the the winning run in. Um, you know they had you know, our bullpen stepped up huge. Do you know? Uh, so I don't know. Maybe the twelfth inning, they, they they we may we misplay a ball in the outfield. Kind of a tough hop gets through. Um, so it's man on third instead of man on first with not out extra innings. Man on third. Middle of their lineup coming up, and our bullpen says no. No, you don't get to score here. We're gonna hit again, and and throws a zero up in a you know quite the predicament. So yeah, really proud of the the the, the pen uh, coming through for us there. And fortunately, we lose the fourteen, and and uh, you know then the next day, kind of a little back and forth, had the lead, uh, you know fifth or sixth inning kind of thing, and um, you know just weren't able to maybe get make that one pitch that we needed when we needed it. Uh, I think we lost we lost eight six. You know, we had chances. You know, one of the great things about this ball club, and and you know, maybe it's maybe it'll add some gray hairs to the manager, but they give themselves opportunities. You know, we had guys on base last night uh, or yesterday afternoon. It's, it, every day games last night, every day games like tonight. It, it's kind of weird the terminology. We had chances to score. We had guys on base. Uh, you know, and and we won't come through every time, as as which is evident. Uh, but that's what baseball is. You're just not going to get it done every time. You you want to put yourself in the right position to have something good happen, and and you know, you know, game in game out we do do that. So you know, uh, some days we'll get the big hit, some days we won't. You know, Saturday night, you know, Trav ripped the ball down the third baseline, and 
got it by the third baseman uh, when we were up 4-2, you know, to make it 6-2, and, and that's important. You know, a, a dagger-ish type play. You know, we scored two runs to give us some more breathing room. Um, you know, if that happened yesterday when we had the bases loaded with one out, different game. It, it, it's game-changing. So, you know, without putting pressure on the guys, that's not that's not what this is. It, those situations come up three, four, five, six times in a game, and, and you're hopeful that you're able to capitalize when, when they open the door. And, uh, you know, really the games that, that we've uh, that we've lost, we probably just haven't capitalized. Uh, but credit to the fellas, man. They, they give themselves opportunities. So, um, yeah, we'll get back at it. We're looking forward to the trip. It should be fun. Um, you know, see some new ballparks. Uh, and a challenge for us to, to get on the right side of a game on the road. We'll get to that road trip in a second. But uh, firstly... You're not the first and will not be the last to say our road trip to Regina didn't go so well. I'm from Manitoba. I'm allowed to say that. Uh, road trips. And listen, I, I jest, but I did spend 10 months in Regina. Uh, it, uh, it was the best That's 10 years of my trip. life. <laughs> ten, 10 years of my life. Uh, no, I, I kid. But the good bullpen, good ballpark in uh, in Regina. And secondly, it was what I want to ask you is, there's a balance here between we got to win every game and we're here to develop some baseball players and send them back to their college with good habits and not bad habits. And there are some guys who coach, like uh, Jordan Martinuk uh, uh, plays for the Carolina Hurricanes. He's in. Uh, he's on Sports and More later today in our podcast, and he talked about his dad actually joined him in the podcast. And he, his dad said, our coach the one year wasn't trying to get to the AJHL or the WHL. Like, I'm sure you would love to be a Major League Baseball manager at, at some some point in your life. That would be a, a dream come true, Jordan. But that's not your goal right now. You're balancing between, yeah, you want to win games, put a good product on the field, but also help develop these players. It is an interesting balance. Some guys always don't handle it so well. Some guys are so focused on getting to the next level, they forget about development and just focus on wins. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good topic. Uh, there, there is some balance. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not perfect, and, and you try and weigh playing time and opportunities for guys. You know, I think at the end of the day, winning does help development. Um, of having course, that mindset. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we definitely don't ever go into a game, you know, willing to lose this one to, to you know, trade off some opportunity because I don't think that sends the right message. And, yeah, it's important for the guys to understand the culture is is to prepare to win, knowing that most, if not dang near everything, is out of our control outside of that preparation. And you know, you can you can hit a ball on the on the screws right out of guy, you know. And then if 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 you been three inches to the right or left, it's a game winner, and instead we lose a game. So um, there's a lot in baseball that's not in your control. It's not a, a fast moving read and react basketball, hockey, football, when the play's going on sport where things all change all of a sudden it's, you know, this is what's happening. This is what you need to try and do. And, um, yeah, yeah like I said, uh, you just try and put yourself in the best position to be successful. And that starts with the pregame prep and, and, um, you know, the mentality going into a ball game and, and, you know, what time you're doing things, you know, one o'clock for a two, where you're at, where your body's at, what time do you need to head out to stretch? And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the, the game is a process based game. Do you know? Two things I loved about, well, more, there was a lot of things I loved about yesterday's game. The sunshine was beautiful. It, it, uh, I don't want to say it was too hot because we get ridiculously cold days, so I'm never going to complain well, we're about from the here. heat. We could yeah, say it's yeah. too hot, but I loved the bunt in the third inning. That was, uh, you know, going to be a sack bunt, and you, you ended up with a base hit out of it. I think they ruled it a hit. 
Um, and actually, I'm not quite sure because the the guy did bobble it. But I also love the uh, the Father's Day jerseys that you guys oh, had. You like so I, I really cool. love those. So t- two two of those things I really loved about yesterday. Um, you know the the small ball that we've we've talked about. Uh, you know, you and I don't want that to dis- disappear from the game. Others think it's a, a waste. Um, but I love that you still go after things. You're aggressive on the base pass with your team, and when you have fast players, you could probably get away with bunting a little bit more. Yeah, you know, and it's a skill, it's an art, uh, it's something that is to be developed, and that's something that we work on with our guys. Uh, you know, if, if you do have, uh, you know, above average speed, it only makes sense for you to consider adding that as a weapon to your offensive arsenal. You know, if, if teams aren't going to respect the fact that you can put one down and, and play in, and, um, you know, there it is right there, is that you put their defense, you know, on their toes or perhaps on their heels because they don't know what's going on and they sacrifice range defensively because they've got to play in 10, 15 feet. You can beat the shift. They're, exactly. <laughs> you found a way to get that in early today. I do, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and you know, learning learning to play the game and, and you know, uh, uh, Shay, Shay talked about this a little bit. I, I'm Shay sure. Hillebrand. Yep, Shay Hillebrand talked about this. I'm sure Matt Stairs will talk about this a little bit later on the show is, is – there's a lot of you know things going on with how you hit and what how, there's a there's it's about feel. It's happening in all sports, you know. And there's a, listen, I think there's a um, to to completely ignore analytics is wrong, and to completely rely solely on analytics is wrong. You know, t- there's a feel for the game that you have to have, and you also have to be open to other people's thoughts but it, it shouldn't be one or all yeah no for sure and, and the game's evolving based on course the physical ability of players now compared to the 70s where you're smoking in the clubhouse you, you know now now it's fruit drinks and protein shakes you know the, the the level of athletes has changed they're bigger stronger faster the baseballs are wound tighter the ballparks are smaller it makes sense. The pitchers seem closer because they're throwing so much you harder know, it, 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 there's so much evolution. Um, yet the, 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 the technique to hit a ball or the ballpark consistently over the course of 600 at bats or six years in the big leagues, it really hasn't changed. You know, there's a lot of catchphrases and terms and and terminology being used, um, you know, by hitting coaches, which I am one of them. Um, it's a simple thing that's not easy to do hit a baseball and, and yeah, for sure, if you swing down on a ball going downhill, it's going to go down. <laughs> you know, it's coming from an elevated position on the mound. Um, I, I don't think we needed to have a uh, technological epiphany to figure that out. Um, and the launch angle is, is, it's a catchphrase. It's been around since the dawn of baseball. Like This hasn't changed. If you want to hit the ball up and it's coming downhill, you're going to have to swing up a little bit on it. The, 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 this isn't new uh, so there's a lot of people get caught up in, in how to do this and what kind of fly balls you want to hit. And, you know, it's all fine and dandy. There, there's a, there's a, a way to hit a ball up and there's a way to hit a ball square and, there, and there's a way to, you know, hit the ball on the ground. And until they change the 60 foot, six inches and the height of the mound, that, that hasn't changed. It's not going to change. You know, the ball's coming downhill. So, so your ability to put your body in the right position to strike the ball at the right point in front of the plate to get it elevated in the air 
is really what the art form is. You can swing up all you want. If you're going to hit pop-ups, you know, at, at a certain level, it's not going to work. So whether you're successful with a metal bat in college doing that, when you come play in a wood bat league, you know, maybe those balls don't quite go as far and now you're making a bunch of outs. You know, if you play in the summer college league with wood bat and you have some success, balls are just getting out of the yard and then you go up a level and, you know, now the, the level of arms is greater and, and that's not working anymore. Like your ability to adjust and, and strike the ball properly continues to be fine-tuned until you, you know, obviously reach the pinnacle. So there, there's a lot, there's a lot of things definitely attached to, you know, how do we do this properly? How do you teach it? And, um, you know, Shay's a mentor of mine, uh, as far as, as, you know, the mindset behind the game and approach and game plan and feel, uh, is, are the three main things, you know, if you have that and you don't have a good swing, you can still have success. If you have a good swing, great swing, and you don't have the other, you're you're in trouble. So you guys go to Fort Mac for two. You have today off. You leave uh, tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon, to go up to Fort Mac. Uh, then Okotoks for one, Medicine Hat for three. So an interesting um, north to south road trip that you guys have going. What's the what's the single biggest thing that has to change for your team this week compared to what happened last week? If you if you could just pick one thing to change, what would you say? I, I wish we were better at this this week. Hmm. <laughs> See, that's the thing like Regina was a weird like we didn't we didn't play bad uh, we didn't play poorly um, I'm an offensive guy I love my pitching staff uh, I hold them dear to my heart I know they, they grind and battle for us so so I'm going to say get, getting that you know splitting the gap when we need it you know that that, that big hit to maybe get, give us a cushion or give us the early lead or you know Get you back into it. Square us up early in the fourth inning instead of allowing the you know the the deficit to continue through innings. Um, yeah, I think I think our ability to chip away a little bit more would be would be great. You know, we we're a big run inning. Like we can put we can all of a sudden put a big big number up on a team. Like we've got we've got so so many guys with so much talent that you know I I think at some point there'll be a little bit more of manufacture. Hey, we got one here, one there, then a three, then a one. You know. In baseball, your ability to score in consecutive innings is important. Um, it's it's a morale thing. It's a you know momentum thing. There is momentum in the game. Um, so our, our maybe our ability to chip away a little bit more offensively would be would be cool to see. And and you know I, I know we have the personnel to do it. And you know, maybe finding that little bit of lineup chemistry and and you know we'll take a look at that. We're going to get into a major league baseball talk during fantasy baseball. But I do want to uh, bring up one uh, mention of uh, Major League Baseball, one news item. The Parrot will be flying <laughs> in Yankee Stadium. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, former Blue Jay, of course, uh, traded by the Seattle Mariners to the New York Yankees uh, because they needed some they needed some right-handed they power, don't have right? Enough there, uh, you know, Judge Stanton, Voight. <laughs> they're short on right-handed power. So what do you think of this move? Edwin is not the same all-around hitter, but I think he has 21 home runs this year. Leading the league, yeah, dangerous. You know, dangerous. You know, maybe maybe the upper-end fastballs, he's got to cheat on a little bit as he's getting older. You kind of see that a little bit with some guys. We saw that with A-Rod, you know, at the end of his career. You know, the, like the, the A-plus fastballs, you know, you got to cheat, and then that makes you susceptible to, you know, breaking balls and things that are soft away. Um Double E looks like he's probably in that mode, you know, hitting 240 where he traditionally, uh, you know, a little bit, bit higher average. 
your batting average isn't the be all end all, but it does kind of give you an idea yeah. where you're at. You you would I think value on base percentage more than just batting average. Would you? I I, I do. Like, I love get guys getting on base because there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, you know. It, Forcing the defense to have to make an outstanding play to get you out, and you have some wheels. There's a reward for our team when you're able to, you know, put a ball in a hole where they got to dive, lay out, and make a big play, and they can't get you. You know, whether that scored a hit or an error, uh, your ability in the game created that on base percentage. So, uh, the more guys you get on base, the more chances you have to score. Um, I, I love the the idea of getting on base, whatever way you can. That's kind of a you know, manager loves guys getting on base. Like I said, give yourself chances to score. So you, you don't need a batting average to do that. Now, the higher your average, the higher your on base percentage. So there's a, a little bit of a deal there. But, you know, double E hitting about 240 with the power potential and in that ballpark with, with that lineup. Like the Yankees are doing Yankee things again. Cue the Evil Empire soundtrack here. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. All right, let's get to uh, history class on uh, that note. And uh, this is uh, things that happened on this day in Major League Baseball history. Uh, We are on uh, Monday, June 17th. And uh, the first one, I'm going way back to 1915 for this one. George Washington Zabel, pretty good name, George Washington Zabel, uh, you're named after a president. Uh, he was a Cubs uh, pitcher, and so he came in for long relief. Now, you just talked about a 14-inning game that you had. He came in in the bottom of the first with two outs and went 18 and a third to get the win. That's ridiculous. Real day's work. Yeah. Zip was his nickname, set the Major League Baseball record for longest relief stint in one game. So get this, the guy who lost the game, Jeff uh, Pfeffer, he went all 19 innings and lost. And so George Washington, <laughs> former president, comes in and uh, goes 18 and a third to get the win. Like, that's an easy day for the manager. You don't have to stress out your bullpen. No. No, yeah, I got this, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, him? Uh, I'm sure he's not alive anymore. This was in 1915, but... Imagine him doing a clubhouse uh, speech to Major League uh, relievers today and saying, the day I went 18 and a third. Yeah, suck it up. Yeah, suck it up, Buttercup. No kidding. The good old days. Uh, Okay, so that's interesting. And before you were talking about like a, you know, a a line drive an inch or two this way and it's a different ball game. Well, without a good hop in 1941, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak might have ended at 29 because he got to 30 in 1941, on this day, obviously, that was the year. His seventh inning grounder takes a bad hop of Luke Appling's shoulder. Uh, and the Yankee Clippers uh, hit breaks the team record for hit in consecutive games. So then he would obviously go on to 56. But a good hop keeps that streak alive. A bad hop uh, put Bill Buckner in baseball immortality for the wrong reason. Like right? it, baseball is sports in general. You see it in football, see it in hockey, whether it's off the post. It's a hand pass. It, yeah, it's, it's amazing how, you know, one or two inches or just this or that way can change uh, history. Uh, 1960, Ted Williams, 500th home run. The fourth Major League Baseball player at that time to do it. He finished with 521. He would have easily had more than 600 if he didn't spend three years fighting in World War II. That's that's the incredible story about athletes of, of that uh uh, era, you know, we just passed D Day a, a few weeks ago. 
Um, so three years he missed playing in his prime too. And so he might have had like who knows he could have had like maybe six fifty seven hundred. I'm not sure. But there are now twenty seven members of the five hundred home run club. Ted Williams though the highest career batting average of any of them at. 344 and he he is often thinking as the best pure hitter in baseball correct yeah he's he's in that mix uh there's so many that had learned from ted williams that that his message and knowledge has been passed down through the game um incredible impact obviously when he played and then you know obviously serving and coming back uh he shared knowledge he he was he was around the game as he grew older and you know his influence is still there all right, this is interesting because this was happening at your game yesterday. But in 1978, on this day, Yankee Stadium started the tradition of rhythmically clapping with two strikes. Really? And it was happening during your game yesterday. Yeah, it was inspired by Ron Goodry's 15 strikeouts over six innings. He finished with 18 strikeouts in the game over the Angels. and they, So they were getting so pumped up, so they were getting into it. And now that happens at every ballpark, I'm... I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, Part of the fabric it's, of it baseball is. now. Two strikes, you start yeah. clap, clap, okay. clap, 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 clap. You go faster and faster. Safeco Field, K Corner, when Felix right. was in his prime, they it was. I, and I watched the game in there with the sign, and people are going bananas, and they're having a with blast. Two strikes, right? Yeah, yeah. I, our fans are awesome. Do you know? You know, like they, yesterday when, was a great. When they crowd. get going, man. It's uh, you yeah, got some what good hecklers. A, what a privilege to play in Edmonton. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting because that happened yesterday, and. This is an important one. In 1993, Major League Baseball owners voted 26-2 to 2 in favor of expanding the playoffs for the first time since 69. So 1994, if there would have been, uh, would have been eight teams instead of four. But now we have eight teams instead of four. Who are the two teams that voted against that? What, who, like, who are the two owners that think less playoff teams are better? Like, Okay, so do you think there should be even more playoff teams uh, than there is now? Like, Should it be expanded more? Well, first of all, like there's there's two sports moments that that stick out for me, and you had to bring up one of them is the Expos run there. The other one is 06 and the goaltending situation, but that's a different show. Those are the two dress that, the backup you want to play. <laughs> those are the two memories that that haunt me as a sports fan. Is that Expos run, man? I've been an Expo lifer. I still am, kind of like low tide in this. I couldn't pick another team because that that was my team. I you know. I, I, I don't know. I love I love the game as Trav Hunt kind of talked about. He loves the game, and I hope the Expos come back. You know that's that's a tough one there, but uh, you know the way it is now, it's uh, I think you could add teams. I, I can't say I'm a purist because I don't think I am, but I'm not I'm not for just doing all these random changes to the game either. Like no way moving the mound back's a good idea. Like no way on a lot of these things for me. But listen, I don't think that, uh, you know, over half of the teams in a league should make the, like, I think there, you know, there's got to be some, I guess, well, you don't want like 20 out of 30 teams making the playoffs, right? That's, that kind of defeat, you know, it's just like, wow, almost everybody makes the playoffs. There's nothing special about it at that point. Yeah. But you also, I think, you know, you're limiting to so few, like, you know, look at, there are. 10 teams, 15 teams that are, don't have a chance the right tank, now? Like the, and that's an issue in, in basketball. It's an issue in MLB, that tanking issue. And, and I, I, it, you don't tank in baseball. You, you're, you're reloading. Like what the Blue Jays are doing right now, they're, they're, not, they're not excited to lose. You know, obviously there's a benefit. They'll get higher picks and, and more opportunity at top-end guys, which is important. Um, 
they're also going through a situation where they get less fans. There's more negativity surrounding. Like it, it's a gamble um, that they feel is worthwhile doing, and uh, and I have a pretty good feeling that it's going to work out for them with the amount of talent they have. They've got some big time arms coming. Their their position players are a year or two ahead of the big time arms that they have, so the timing's pretty good here. Um, you know, tanking's not the right term necessarily for that, to, and and. It's tough to win every but it's, year. But it's not even that they're trying, like, they're like, okay, well, no, they are looking ahead to next year because the season ha- isn't half over and teams are out of it already. Oh, no. So there's got to be, uh, that's why I would be in favor of at least exploring. I'm not saying, okay, like, uh, you know, four teams from every division gets into the playoffs because that's, then it's like, well, why would it's you not play so special. many games? Yeah, then? so there's, there's got, but there's got to be some exploration did, did to it. Did you hear about the idea uh, for, for draft pick lotteries that, you know the the bottom teams play off. I love that. That's what we do in all my pick. fantasy leagues. Every one of my fantasy too. sports leagues, we have a toilet bowl where you play for the first overall pick and second overall pick. That one hundred percent, I would be in favor of for that in the NHL. I would be every single sport. Does that you don't make add? the you don't make the playoffs? At least the team people in Edmonton have something to get excited about, or or Toronto in uh, in Major League Baseball. We know Toronto is the uh, so, uh, the king of the NBA right now, so we're not going to say that. But you know, you look at any sport that once the season ends, this gives you one more thing to get excited about. Does that satisfy the the ability to generate more revenue for your yeah, league? Yeah, no kidding. Instead of expanding playoffs to why doesn't it you know, four or five from every division gets in and and let's water this down. Where we keep the the top top playoff, the championship playoff, the same, and now add in these other markets, getting this opportunity. I think you you kind of killing two birds with one stone. That there's, there's excitement for the draft. There's revenue added. There guys are playing for something. Yeah, do you think we're going to see that someday? We better. <laughs> or what? Well, because it just it just <laughs> should happen because it's good for sports. Tell us your best baseball story and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. So this is how this works with baseball memories. You send us your favorite baseball memory. It could be anything. It could be of you playing as a kid, as an adult right now, your son or daughter playing your anything playing catch with your dad in the backyard anything it can be coaching any kind of baseball memory send it to us and six winners in total and a guest will watch a game from a suite hosted by myself as well one person from each winner will get to take batting practice before the game this is so cool really really excited about this and the way you get involved is just email us prospects baseball show at gmail.com Prospects baseball show at gmail.com. So you get to watch the game from a suite and someone's going to go from your group to take batting practice before the game, just for telling us your favorite baseball memory is. I'll go first 1991 world youth baseball championship, Brandon, Manitoba at what is now Andrews field uh, named after um, a a good friend of mine, uh, Nate Andrews. Uh, His father uh, was a very, 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 uh, influential baseball and, and manager, Neil Andrews was his name. And so they named the uh, the field after him. Anyway, it was called West Brand Stadium in 1991. 
And I lived in the east end of Brandon, and the stadium was in the uh, north end of Edmonton, or Brandon, rather. I would get on my bike every day, would ride down at like 7 in the morning, and watch baseball all day long. Chinese Taipei, the U.S., Cuba, of course, Canada. And Canada ended up winning it. And Stubby Clap was like one of the stars of Team Canada. It was one of the best weeks or 10 days or whatever it was that I remember as a kid because I was like, I'm getting up. My mom would give me some uh, cash. I would ride down, watch some games. My dad would come meet me later. We'd watch some games, some friends. The stadium was packed in the gold medal game and Canada won it. There was home runs. And I'm like, wow, this is the greatest like baseball. You know, At that point, it was the, the highest level that I'd ever seen. So the 1991 World Youth Baseball Championship in Brandon – um, they had it again, I think, in '94 or something like that. And I wasn't as I wasn't around as much then, but the '91 tournament and especially Stubby Clap was uh, just a, a wonderful baseball memory for myself. That's awesome. That would be really cool to experience, like seeing all those other countries play and, and their brand of baseball and how they do what they do. Totally, dude. That's awesome. And the um, chants, the different chants and things like that. That I, was cool. I remember seeing Nicaragua play here in Edmonton, and it was Nicaragua, yeah. Nicaragua. It, what a party. It's just great. That's, it is, yeah. that's, that's what baseball is all about. Uh, well, I've got, I've got a, a little stubby clap tie in there as, as a great baseball memory, and, and this is one of, one of my best memories in the game. Uh, so in 2006, I, I was coaching a youth team in, in Spruce Grove with a couple of good friends, and I, I had the itch to play. I wasn't done playing, and, and you know, the Cracker Cats, obviously. And I had a good friend of mine, Dan Chappelle, was, was on the roster there, and um, so I started playing again in, in, in the WNBL, now the WCBL, and um, I knew the, the bench coach for the Cracker Cats, uh, Gord Gerlach, one of my mentors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I contacted him, you know, what are the opportunities like? Is, is there a spot open? What do I need to do? And, you know, how, how can I prove my worthiness to the, the organization, try and get into pro baseball? And, you know, there's a process that needed to play out. And, and so he said, you know, the best, <clears throat> the best thing you can do is start playing. Okay, so I, so I start playing. And, I get going uh, with 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 the prospects and, and, and having a good run, and um, you know there, there's some injuries and whatnot, always in pro baseball, and and so as it turns out, uh, a team that was coming to town, the Schaumburg Flyers, uh, had a couple injuries after the All Star break, and and a couple guys had been signed to organize teams, so they were plucked, uh, so they had some they had some needs, uh, so I was I was given an opportunity to play for Schaumburg in Edmonton. Awesome, you know, dream come true, and um, you know, Stubby Clap was with the Cracker Cats at the time, and a good friend of mine, uh, Jeff White, who's the college uh, head coach for Okanagan College. Uh, Jeff and I've been great friends for a long time, and and um, Whitey is is pitching for the Cracker Cats, so uh, he's in their clubhouse, and and these, some of the guys on the team knew who I was just because I've been around, you know, kind of the ballpark and and some things like that. So I, I get I get signed by Schaumburg and then, you know I'm, I'm playing against the Cracker Cats and Stubby Stubby's a you know a hero, Canadian baseball hero and and totally. for, for sure one of mine um, at, you know I really looked up to him and what he was able to do you know the Pan Am games hit you know put Stubby Clap on the map and and you know the name obviously is unique and 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 from all accounts from the couple people I knew in the Cracker Cats great great human great guy so we get into the game and and. Uh, my first hit, I got two hits in in, uh, in the indie leagues. Um, 
ball gets kind of cut through the infield. Uh, you know, it wasn't a missile off the wall by any means and, and legged it out. And, and, you know, I'm on the board with a, with a professional hit. And uh, I remember specifically Stubby got the ball and threw it into our dugout for me. With, you know, I, I was, you know, a new guy, didn't know anybody. I'm not going to, I'm not smart enough to be asking for a ball at that point. And, like Matt Stairs did, yeah. <laughs> as we'll hear later on in the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it was really cool that uh, Stubby did that for, for a stranger. You know, I, I didn't really know him, but uh, he, he knew that that was a significant moment for, for my baseball journey. And, and so Stubby threw that ball in. Uh, I still have that ball. I, I gave it to my parents who, uh, you know, my mom and dad obviously uh, – gave me the opportunities, uh, time, energy, resources, uh, to pursue the game and get to live out that dream, which, which I was able to do and, and get a couple hits. And, um, so that they've got the ball at home and, and, uh, you know, obviously shout out to my parents and this baseball memory that, you know, they got to see it in Edmonton too, which was super special. And, uh, you know, they've been by my side uh, through the baseball journey and, I, you know, if you, you you may see them at Remax Field nowadays, they like coming out, and uh, we get to discuss things after the game, which is always always awesome. <laughs> Sometimes not so much, but um, you know, a uh, big shout out to my parents for for their support, and and you know, Stubby Clap, there's the tie-in uh, through through the ball in for me when I got my first hit. Uh, actually, another so the third game of that series, you know, I'm playing pro baseball. You know, there's takeout slides. The the rules were different when I played. Now it's, you know, you can't get a guy and, um, I'm a baseball player. You know, my job as a base runner at first base on a double play ball is to prevent it from being a double play ball. And so this happened earlier, I think in game one, I played three games, uh, double play ball got hit. You know, I bust down to second base. I, when I slide, no one's there. The middle guys are gone already, but the, the double play was turned. I slide. I'm like, Oh, that, yeah, I guess this is pro baseball. Like they, they weren't sticking around to find out. Right. Boom, bang, done. Um, so game three, you know, later in later in the series, there um, a little tougher turn, sick ball hitting the six hole, and Stubby's trying to roll one up at second, and and I got him. You know, I got a piece of him. You know, the right way, cleats down, like you slide through the bag, you affect the double play, and uh, you know, part of part of me is like, you know, I don't want to do that to Stubby, you know, but I'm I'm playing for another team, and and. You know, he's on the other team. He's a, he's an enemy and, and you got to break it up. And, and so I got a piece of him and, and I, I don't remember if it was broken up or not. Cause it's stubby. I put my head down and busted my butt off the field into the dugout. Cause that's, you know, it's a, it's a base Canadian legend and, and I don't want to stick around and find out. I did my job. I'm out, I'm out of here. So, um, that was pretty cool moment for me that I, that, you know, the first time nobody was even at second base when the double play got turned. And then this time you know, I was able to affect the double play a little bit. Uh, so that's my stubby clap memories. Send yours to prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Send us your baseball memory, and you could be watching a game from a suite and somebody taking batting practice before the game. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. We are very pleased to welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show the all-time pinch-hit leader when it comes to home runs of Major League Baseball, Matt Stairs, and it's a bonus that he's a Canadian as well. We can fly that flag, but uh, Matt, when you get introduced that way, what does that mean when, when, when you hear that statistical record that you own? Uh, it's actually pretty cool. You know, I think uh, when I was playing and I, and I broke it when I was with the San Diego Padres, 
in 2002. I remember hitting a home run against a pitcher by the name of Lowe uh, in Milwaukee. You know, it just it was you know it's like okay, well, whatever. Uh, it is what it is. It's my job. I was a pinch hitter hitting home runs. And I think the later you get, and when you get older and stuff going on, and then away from the baseball, uh, when people start talking about it, you sit back and go, "Yeah, that's pretty damn cool right there that I broke the record and, and have a major league record." So it'll be broken sometime eventually, but uh, for right now, it's mine, and yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. Um, well, well, speaking of the pinch hit home runs, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the the. The, the Broxton home run, and I remember watching it on TV, Matt, and it, it was I was super pumped, obviously, because you're Canadian and because uh, I love the way you swing the bat and the left-handed hitter and, and like, the true professional ability to be prepared for a moment uh, that may or may not come day in, day out. Uh, you know, obviously, I have a ton of respect for that being in the game at, at the capacity I am, but can you just tell us a, a little bit about what that process is like, perhaps in that particular home run, which is you know a famous home run now. Like, what what are you going through in the you know the, the first, the third, the fifth inning? I, I know you probably have an idea who you might match up with. Can you take us through your process, maybe on that day or, or a similar day? Well, I think every day was pretty much the exact same. Um, you know, the day I became a utility player slash pinch hitter, uh, it was the day that I accepted that job of what I wanted to do. Uh, I got the mindset where I did not want to play every day anymore. Uh, I wanted to be that guy off the bench that uh, had a chance to, to change the outcome of a game, um, you know, which was fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't lose sleep if I would have struck out, and I didn't lose sleep if I hit a home run. It was just it was one of those things where that's, that was my job, and I accepted it. I had big shoulders, and uh, I never took a bats away from the ballpark and brought it home. So I think that helped me quite a bit. But honestly, I, I kept it pretty simple, and I'll get to the home run. I, I kept it really simple with – with pinch hitting, I never expected to get a hit, which sounds weird, but I always had a game plan. And that's the only thing you can control when you step in the batter's box as a pinch hitter or as a hitter. Have a game plan, and after that, it's out of your control. So I figured a lot of guys, when they pinch hit, they wanted to get a hit so bad, and they got away from the game plan and made easy outs. Uh, so for me, it was just a, it was simple. Stay so my game plan, and it stayed the same against Broxton, you know, game four in LCS. Uh, six or seven days, I never had in the back. Uh, I think we, we got blown out or we killed them. I didn't get a chance to get in the bat. And it just was one of those days when, when they called me into the ballpark to hit uh, that time. Didn't hear the music. Didn't hear uh, the cheers for Broxton. Didn't hear the blues for me. Um, everything was in slow motion. And it just kind of worked out where I got to the good point of uh, the bat and got a pitch to hit. And I didn't miss it. So it was, it was, a, it was a very... Uh, timely home run, and it was a very interesting home run when it, when it happened. Yeah, no kidding. The, the name of the game, it, it, timely for sure. So, um, when when you were approaching, uh, when you finally made the decision to accept your role or, or and as a true professional, I'm, I'm sure that was part of the process. Um, what was that like uh, for you as far as what did you need to change in your day-to-day routine from when you were uh, attempting to be an everyday guy or an everyday guy to accepting this role as, you know, kind of the important part of the game, uh, late in the game against some of the, the top arms in the game. What was that transition like? Well, it was a little different. Uh, when I was a, you know, an everyday player for, you know, guys getting four or 500 at bats uh, for a part-time guy, you know, you had to do more scouting report of all the starters, all the relievers, um, you know, when I became a pinch hitter, basically I had to eliminate left-handers because I knew it was going to come to the point where late in the game, if they brought a left-hander in, 
I was going to get pinch hit for. Um, so basically, it was it was more of just setting your mindset of who uh, you're going to face. It's either going to be the eighth inning guy or the ninth inning guy. And I never had to worry about the, the mop-up guy, the long guy, anything like that. Uh, so it made it a little easier. And I think what happened, I mean, I knew all the great closers. I mean, you know, Mariano Rivera and, you know, all the, the great closers that were in the game, uh, K-Rod and all those guys, that it just made my job a little easier to prepare for an outing. Now, which didn't mean that it was very easy to hit, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, no, that's awesome. Again, I, you know, again, I knew, like, if I was facing Trevor Hoffman, he wasn't going to give me anything inside the pole and hurt him on pole side, so he's going to throw me more fastballs away. Everyone knew he had a great changeup, but I knew he was going to throw me fastballs away, and he did. You know, it's, it's you know, pitches pitch to your your weaknesses, and that's just something where you stay with and hopefully they make a mistake and uh, and try to get them. Well, it's interesting. That home run in 2008 off a pretty good pitcher in uh, Jonathan Broxton. And, and Matt, I'm not going to hold it against mm-hmm. you. I am a Dodgers fan, but I was, <laughs> I'm still happy for you for that home run because uh, we are Canadians. And, of course, it led to a, a World Series. But uh, you, you just mentioned that. You're facing some of the, the best uh, relievers in the game. Who Who did you find the toughest to hit in your career? Well, I, you know, I tell this story all the time. And when I was in Regina and Wayburn, I, I told this story. And, and there was a pitcher by the name of Arthur Rhodes. Oh, wow. Uh, he was a left-handed pitcher who went to the Baltimore Orioles, Seattle Mariners. Uh, I believe he was with the Cleveland Indians. And I was 0 for 18 at one time against them. And everyone's like, oh, you know, 0 for 18 is not bad. I was 0 for 18 years against them. Never had a hit against him in the minor leagues. Never had a hit against him in the big leagues. Until my last at bat when I was with, uh, I can't remember who in the hell I was with. I think I was with the uh, San Diego Padres. And I finally got a hit off him. And I got the ball and I called time up. I started walking to the mound to see if he'd sign it. I remember this because I was in Seattle. And he was so pissed. But he was probably the guy of the most you know, difficult to face because I couldn't pick the ball up out of his hand. He had a short delivery with his arm. He came right from his ear. He had a really good curve, only too hard for a left-hander. So uh, he was a guy that I had the hardest time with. And then, of course, Mariano Rivera, who just he blew my thumbs up all the time with that cutter. <laughs> I back off the plate, and he'd throw me a backdoor cutter. So it was just a hopefully he'd hit me uh, at bat. Hey, so with uh, with your approach, Matt, uh, when you were an everyday guy as compared to when you, you became you know the, the, the pinch hitter, well, what changed for you mentality-wise as far as what you were looking for as a hitter? What kind of at-bat you were trying to have? Uh, were, you, were you looking to swing early? Was there was there a change from um, your mindset as an everyday guy with four or five at-bats in a day versus you, you may only have one? Did your approach change at all? If anything, uh, becoming a pinch hitter made me concentrate a little better. Uh, it made me more of a stubborn hitter to the point where you know, I wanted to sit on my pitch and, and my pitch only, and I didn't want to expand, you know, until two strikes. I didn't want to sit on breaking balls like I would if I started uh, every day. You know, at times, starting every day, you might get off your game plan once in a while and sit curveball if you're facing a guy that throws a, a pretty good curveball. Um, you know, again, I think when you're a pinch hitter, you you, you, you knew you had that one at bat, so you didn't want to put too much pressure on yourself. Uh, but you had a better focus than, you, than when you did having four or five at bats because you knew – you know, you might stink the first two at bats, and all of a sudden you might get a cheap knock and then hit a home run. Next, thing you know, you're two for four. So, yeah, uh, there's a little different thought process because you can you can give away a few at bats uh, playing every day. Pinch hitting, you can't give at bats away because you might not. You know, I went 0 for 32 one year. Uh, I went two months in 09 without getting a hit. Hit the ball well. I just never got a hit, and then I knew, you know, out of the 32 at bats I went 0 for, I only hit two starts in the whole time. 
you know, I still had a game plan and it just, it failed. It didn't happen. It didn't work. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden, you know, you break out with a pinch hit grand slam and the old for 32 was gone. So I think that's the biggest thing. And, and I learned as a pinch hitter, you know, probably you know, six or seven years left in my career that the only thing I can control is, is, is my approach. And that's all I can, that's all I can do. I can't control where the ball goes. I can't control what kind of pitch I'm getting, but having a game plan and, you know, that's kind of the difference with the two approaches. That's interesting. You have that in common with Ozzy Smith. He started a year 0 for 32 one time, and uh, we all know what kind of a great career. So <laughs> interesting company. You did yeah. the uh, you did the rare double dip in Canada with the Jays and the Expos as a Canadian, which there should be like a Tim Hortons donut <laughs> named after that or something like that. But how how were the two how are the two different aside from one being in the beginning and one near the end of your career? How were playing for the Expos and the Blue Jays uh, different? Well, I think there's a few things. I think one, um, you know, being called up as a as a Canadian player from Montreal, I was very proud, and I knew it wasn't going to last very long because you had you know Moises Lutz, or Marquis Grissom, Larry Walker in the outfield, and then you had me. It wasn't going to go over very well. <laughs> I think that's the reason why I ended up going to Japan. But you know, you know what the biggest thing is. I tell you what the biggest difference is when I played for Montreal and when I played with Toronto. When you play when you play for Montreal and you get called up and you do your interviews, they pay you to do interviews, which was I thought was the coolest thing. I said, I'll do interviews. Hell, whenever you want. I'll <laughs> shower, I'll do interviews. <laughs> you know, then in Toronto, you, you didn't get paid to do interviews. So I thought that was the kind of the neatest thing. I felt like a sumo wrestler at the end of the match. You know, you get paid for your victories. But, you know, it was it's, baseball is baseball. I mean, the, the Canadian people really um, supported the Canadian players that played for Team Canada. For, I say Team Canada, I guess, for Toronto and Montreal. You know, I had Larry Walker, myself, uh, Delano, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Joe Siddle, and Denny Boucher. And I think we played all in one game one night, and there were 56,000 people, which was outstanding. Denny pitched, and I think uh, uh, Joe Siddle caught. You know, it, it was just one of those things where, you know, and, and even in Toronto, they, I had tremendous support from the fans. I did well in Toronto. I loved the city. I was pissed when I got when I got traded until I knew I was going to Philadelphia and won the World Series. And I was happier than a pig, and you know what? So, um, it, it, to me, it was it was a great honor representing you know being from New Brunswick and, and playing for both Canadian teams. Yeah, that's awesome, Matt. Uh, so, kind of leading into that, uh, you know, grew up in in New Brunswick, and and you were born in St. John, but grew up in Fredericton. That's correct. I need to I need to ask you a little bit more about uh, about your childhood and and. Uh, you know uh, your love of the game of hockey and baseball, and and how your how your decision came down to heading out uh, to the west coast of Vancouver to the NBI uh, with Coach John Har. Uh, right. You know he's he's still out there doing his thing. He's a legend. I spent some time on the island, and um, you know you know John's John's one of those guys, as you know, that uh, you just look up to. Um, how how did you go about that process, Matt? Of you know maybe choosing baseball over hockey as much as uh, maybe you love both sports. Well, it was an easy decision because I think uh, baseball chose me. I ended up getting injured in hockey with a knee-on-knee collision, and uh, I couldn't really get the knee right uh, playing hockey-wise. I was small at the time. Uh, that's you know back when hockey was going on. I was trying out, you know, trying to make the the next jump from where I was playing, and that's when you know Bob Probert and those guys came in. And you know, let's face it, being five foot eight going up against Bob Probert, uh, it's not going to work real well. So. You know, honestly, playing baseball, I never wanted to play Major League Baseball. I wanted to be the next guy that played for the Montreal Canadiens. And, and uh, you know, that's just how it was. And baseball was a was a part-time game for me. I played 13 to 15 games a year. 
Uh, I did extremely well playing here, but I never thought of anything of it because I, I just knew it was a part-time sport until hockey started up. And, and playing 10 months a year of hockey was was the key you know, thing I wanted to look on. But then all of a sudden when I had the knee injury, uh, what really helped me out was when I'm bad on the, on the year, but I think it was in 86, we went to Cuba to try to qualify for the Olympics. And we went over. Um, I wasn't the starting shortstop. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't stutter. I, I played short, um, <laughs> even though it's frame now you wouldn't think. But, you know, it was just one of those things where we had a shortstop moving over. We beat Mexico. We qualified for the Olympics. Uh, he decided to go home early. Figured he'd see the team in the Olympics in 88. I played. Uh, did extremely well at shortstop. And, and then we played in the World Cup. And I became the you know, top amateur shortstop in the world and won the awards. And just it just kind of worked out. I'm like, this is kind of cool, you know, representing Canada. But I think the biggest turning point was I had a coach one time tell me, you'll never make the professional baseball. You'd be a great uh, representative of Canada for many years to come. And that kind of motivated me and pushed me. And uh, next thing you know, I ended up playing for 19 years. And I guess I proved a lot of people wrong. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. a great story. And you're going to be here uh, to talk a little bit about that uh, for the uh, Western Canadian Baseball League All-Star Game, July 7th. Um, when you look, you know, your story is kind of like uh, Larry Walker's. He got cut from the Regina Pats and thought, oh, I'll give baseball a try. But he, he wanted to play hockey. But what is your advice for the players that you'll be watching on July 7th, those college-age players with, uh, you know, dreams in front of them? Not all of them are going to make it. But what would be your, your advice for those kids right now? You know, I, I think there's a lot. I think it's, it, it's to me, when I was in Regina and I was in Weyburn talking to a couple of the, the players and, you know, another thing is not put so much pressure on yourself. You know, everyone talks about enjoy the game. I hate hearing the phrase enjoy the game because you can't enjoy the game if you're not doing well. It's the bottom line. The game sucks when you're, when you're doing bad. Um, you know, for me, I talked to these guys and said that's the biggest thing. Is there's only one thing you can control in offense. And like I told you guys, is, is having a game plan and sticking with it and uh, listen to your coaches. And, uh, but to me, I think the, one of the biggest things that helped me out, and I played with some great players and Hall of Famers and stuff, is that I watched the game and I learned. I watched players, how they took their approach. I watched the pitcher on the mound, how he was pitching against left-handers. You know, if I was going to come up there and Jason Giambi or Mo Vaughn or whoever was hitting in front of me, I saw how they were being pitched, and I kind of studied it and got in a pattern of, of seeing if, if it was covering over with me. So, you know, live your dream. And, if I, and I, another thing I tell them is if you think you did enough work, you have it. Do more. And I used to take 500 swings a day, and, and everyone knew that I didn't really care about my defense. I worked a bit more on my offense, and uh, that's what I did. Is I worked extremely hard, and, you know, if I thought if I was doing well, I'd work even harder. So, you know, work hard. Uh, if someone tells you you can't do it, ignore them, uh, and, and just pay attention to the game and see what's going on, and it helps a lot. Yeah, it's great stuff, Matt. Uh, thanks for dropping that wisdom. It, it, it uh it's something that uh, kids, you know, they need to hear it from guys that have done it, and I uh, really appreciate you for that. Uh, so throughout your career, Matt, you got to play with a ton of guys and, and, and a few different teams. You know, maybe who, who is the, the biggest uh, influence on your offensive game as a hitter? Was there, was there somebody that um, really helped simplify the, the at-bat for you or your approach or your your game plan was, was there somebody that you leaned on early in your career was, was was there somebody that maybe stands out for you as as really helped you guidance wise uh through your your pro journey yeah no doubt i mean i you know i was kind of i went into montreal you know with the, the big eyes and, and uh, the big leagues and stuff and then 
when I went to Japan and came back and got traded to Boston and finally got the chance to play for the Red Sox, uh, a guy by the name of Mike McFarlane, who became a, a great friend of mine, he was a catcher. Uh, he gave me the advice that I'll never forget. Be seen, not heard. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, man? I'm Canadian. I talk to everybody. I'm loud mouth. I have a good time. <laughs> he says, trust me, be seen, not heard. And, and all of a sudden I sat back and I understood what he meant. You know, be in the locker room, watch guys, watch how they carry themselves on the field and off the field. Uh, and repeat what they're doing. Play hard. Always, because you always have at least you know, seven or eight set of eyes looking at you. Even in spring training, you'll have 15 to 16 set of eyes watching you, uh, scouts, you know, whatever. And that was one of, the, one of the biggest advice I got that I really took to heart thinking, you know what, that makes a, hell of a lot of sense. And I'm going to do it. Um, be seen, not heard. And it, it worked out. You know, I tell some of the kids in high school, be seen, not heard. And it just, it helps out a lot. It just, it's, it really just keeps your mind at ease. Uh, you focus on certain things. So he helped me out a lot. Uh, I was very fortunate that he came to the Oakland A's and when he was retiring. I ended up playing in his last games, which was, which was very nice. And so, I, you know, I think a lot of players, it helps you out that way. Offensively, I could just hit in the minor leagues. I was a good hitter in the minor leagues, and I really never had a hitting coach that I could put my thumbprint on. I think all of them, I took the information from every single one of them, Dave Hutches and, and uh, Mickey Brantley, all these guys helped me out, who was my hitting coach in Toronto. And I just didn't try to take everything and put it in one package. I took one little bit of information and put it together. And I mean, hell, I had 18 hitting coaches, so it was kind of hard to lift every single one. But, uh, you know, I, I think it was I was a student of the game. I wanted to get better, but I didn't want to put too much information in my head because, let's face it, hitters are stupid. You know, when we get in the batter's box, we think too much, and, and pitches are dumber. So it's it's... <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed taking the information and, and you know, you seen that heard approach and, and uh, just listening and watching from everybody. No, that is excellent. Sorry, but that, that's the, it started in, <clears throat> when I was with the Oakland A's. Excuse me. I had Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco as part of my, you know, I was, I was their um, teammates and I watched how they took their batting practices and I watched how they approached the game and I watched how they could get the ball in the air. And they didn't worry about this new era swing and, you know, the, the whatever. I wouldn't get into that because it's going to be a 15-minute interview and there'd be too many cuss words that beeped out. But, you know, it's just something that I, I watch these guys how they approach to get the ball in the air, and I loved it. And then that's how I learned how to get the ball in the air is by watching these guys and the Jason Giambis. Uh And then next thing you know, people are watching me how to get the ball in the air. And then and I was a five-ball hitter, which is what you want nowadays. But I did it properly. So that, that was the biggest thing for me. It's just I, I watched and I, and I watched, and I studied guys' swings, and, and, and I watched their approach. And I was willing to take some criticism. I was willing to talk to my teammates to maybe I should change my, my footing a little bit or my hands a little bit. You know, I'm a firm believer every hitter should have low hands. It's easy to get the ball in the air. So, again, I don't want to talk about too much hitting because I get frustrated with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the advice is perfect, is to watch other players what they do. And, and some of Jordan's players that have been on this show – um, I think it was uh, uh, Travis Hunt watches uh, Mike Trout when he goes to games. Well, that's a pretty good guy to watch at the uh, plate and, and, and uh, in the field as well. So last one uh, for you, Matt, and we really appreciate your time today. What was your favorite home and what was your favorite road stadium uh, throughout your Major League Baseball career? What stadium, what, what stadium was the best when you were the home team and what was the best stadium to play in as a visitor? Uh, I would say the, the best stadium to go in as a visitor was Yankee Stadium. Uh, just with the history and stuff. And, and 
I was a pretty damn good ball player back in the day when I was going to the Yankee Stadium, so I knew that short porch right field was going to be a fun, uh, fun series. Um, you know, I, I think with going to the Yankee Stadium, just with the history, you enjoyed it. I, I loved hitting in the old Minnesota ballpark and the, and the, the Baltimore ballpark. Those are the ballparks that I did probably the, the best damage in as a as a visitor. Home wise, um, you know, again, I'm not saying this because I'm Canadian. Toronto, I really enjoyed going and playing in Toronto as a, as a home ballpark, especially when they fixed the locker room and they're putting about ten million dollars into the locker room and then changing up a little bit. Uh, of course, Philadelphia because I went back to back. You know, it, it's funny because people ask me that all the time. Where's your favorite ballpark you when you played in? All of them because they're the big leagues. Right. You know, who was your favorite? Who was your favorite manager? All of them because I was in the big leagues. John Gibbons was my favorite manager I ever played for. Um, but I think you know, you, you go into San Francisco, you have the big Coke bottle in left field. I liked that ballpark. I didn't like hitting in it. Uh, you know, I can sit here and critique a lot of ballparks. The old Detroit Stadium. Didn't even have a batter's eye because it was 440 feet away and it was just dark out there. But there was a little mound from home plate to <laughs> home plate to the pitcher's mound. There was a little bump, so it always seemed like the ball was going to be lower than it was. So I could critique every ballpark, and I love every ballpark in the big leagues. But I would say Yankee Stadium to go there, and probably the Phillies to play for uh, as a as a home ballpark, tied with PNC in Pittsburgh. Yeah, because the view and it was a short and right, and you get the water whenever you wanted to. The Yankee fans must have been, uh, at times, uh, really, really maybe over the top, but also at times pretty funny, I'm sure. Well, they, they used to be over the top when they sold, al- sold alcohol in right field. <laughs> Trust <laughs> me, there would be batteries and bottles and bottles of urine thrown at you. Uh, they had a good time, and they they had some great information out there, and they, they went back, and they weren't afraid to cut your jugular with uh, the ragging on you. But the White Sox were actually were a very good place to play in, uh, listen to the fans destroy you. Uh, San Francisco was kind of boring, and and because uh, they just said you're not Barry Bonds, well, no kidding. So that's, that's original. <laughs> but you know, there's some really good places, and uh, Texas got me one time. The best thing I ever heard, and uh, I know we're going a little longer. Texas, I was playing right field, and someone yelled to me, "Hey, stairs, you must be on slim slow." So I'm not taking slim fast. I'm taking slim slow. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of neat. And I turned around and gave him the thumbs up, and he just destroys me for you know calling me Roger the Rabbit with big ears and turn around and pay attention to the game. <laughs> You know, but again, you enjoy that, and then all of a sudden, I I go out and throw two guys out in the same inning, and then he never he shut his mouth and didn't say a word. Yeah, nice, beautiful, Matt. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I know uh, people and baseball fans in Edmonton are really looking forward to seeing you on uh, the July seventh weekend for the All Star Game. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Prospects Baseball Show. Oh, no problem. And they get to see me again because I actually played for the Edmonton Trappers way well, back. That's when, right. So yeah, it's been nice to come back there, and I'm still. Thinking about maybe doing the home run contest. Yes, sir. I didn't. I didn't want to bring it up and put you on the spot there, but uh, we're hoping. (laughs) We'll see what happens. I can't promise anything. But guys, listen. I appreciate having me on. I can't wait to come out to Edmonton and and see everybody. (sighs) It's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball. That is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. Hit the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. 
All right, it was not a good week for me in uh, fantasy baseball. Um, I lost 9-2, to two, and uh, I only have a half-game lead on the final playoff spot. So pretty soon it's going to be fish-or-cut-bait time for me and, and whether I sell off guys and then reload for next year or say, you know, I, I, I'm leaning towards saying I'm just going to go with it and see what I can do in the playoffs because I have a deep, deep enough team that I think I can be successful again next year. So you never know what happens in the uh, in playoffs. But Thor on IR, uh, Noah Syndergaard, so that does not help me uh, right now. I have a few guys. Um, and then I was looking at a couple of guys this week that were dynamite. Ian Desmond, three home runs, 13 RBIs in the last week. In my league, he's available. And like this is, he's an older guy with a lot of miles on his body. But if you're in a league that you need some depth or you're running into some injury problems, there's a guy that's hot right now. What's your What's your uh, mindset on guys that get hot like that? Do you think okay, I'll go out and get him and ride him as as long as I can, or do you think well, he's only going to be he's hot now, he's going to cool off because there's a mind two different uh, mindsets totally. to have for it. Uh, I definitely feel like I have this magical situation when I pick up a guy that's hot, <laughs> he goes automatically cold. Like, <laughs> like, like I have this fantasy voodoo situation. Y- you know what, it, dude, man? If a if a hitter on Colorado is getting hot as the summer's warming up, you go grab him. Jump on him. You you go grab him. That lineup so potent that. You know, and it's contagious, and they got Story and Arenado. Like he, he might keep getting good pitches to hit, and this, this might be a season-long thing. And there is a little bit of an effect in Colorado. So, uh, if he's available, you go find a way to get him. And and the multi-position versatility mm-hmm. is huge. Even it's, if even if you just get you you uh, he is effective for a month. Well, yeah. then then you you found a guy that, you know, maybe your first like I, I don't know. I I, I always say if you pick a guy up that's hot be grateful for any amount of time you get for him because baseball is pr- more than any game full of streaks, right? More than any public totally. sport. Yeah, totally. And if you can catch someone, uh, you know, on the way up or, or hot and leveling off before he's on the downslide, you know, it's always tough to, you know, fully believe in the downslide because he's been so hot that you're going to keep him a little bit. And that, that's natural. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's certain guys when they get going, especially if they've had a slow start and they're showing that they're, you know, putting days and days and days – in a row of solid production that's like, you know, maybe you need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Chris Sale, interesting week. Whew. 20 Ks in two quality starts. That's a statistic that we use in my fantasy baseball league is quality starts. Okay. And I like it because you can still get something like, like, like a guy like Justin Verlander, who I have on my roster, 90% of his starts are quality starts. He doesn't win 90% of his no. starts, I don't think, but you still get some sort of that's bonus not, as a uh, quality start. Yeah, so I like that versus we... Versus wins, you get wins. You get points. wins yeah. as well, yeah. You get, uh, you know, wins, uh, saves, strikeouts, quality starts, uh, whip, and ERA. Those are the categories. So Chris Sale, uh, what a dominant week, though. Um, and, and this is a guy that, you know, we were talking, people had questions Full about. Slow start. The last two weeks, 22 innings, 32 Ks, 0.82 ERA, 0.64 whip. It's okay. That those are okay numbers, <laughs> I guess. Word. Like holy macaroni. And uh he's got 32 Ks and two walks. Uh he's locked in. <laughs> he's uh, locked in right up. now. Red Sox are going on a run. That's an automatic win when he's on the bump. Bullpen's fresh for everyone else in the rotation. Who's going to have to get Edwin out now <laughs> when they play the Yankees? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised um that they picked him up for that reason. We should check to see what his numbers are on price. And Chris Sale and, and Sale. price, yeah. 
left-handed, get get another right-hand bat. You know, maybe his career numbers are pretty high, and they went home and picked up a guy because they see this guy. That that's the Yankee Red Sox rivalry right there. Mm-hmm. What do, what happened with you, and uh, what did you see this week in fantasy baseball when you weren't managing the prospects? Yeah, you know. Uh, well, when the when the prospects gig uh, took time away from my fantasy team here this week, uh, that's right. Yeah, I, I was able to get a win this week, uh, which is huge against one of the top teams in 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 the league. And I've been snake bit a little bit. Like two weeks ago, Edwin goes off for five or six or however many home runs he hit, and that basically was the difference. Is double E went, you know, Edwin on me. Um, otherwise, I probably would have put two weeks in a row. It's kind of a weird situation, you know. I've got some guys that I've, I've found through the waiver wire that that are solid. You know, the the running thing for me is I'm waiting for Bryce Harper to do a Bryce Harper month, and you know, be that guy that hits 20 bombs in the month of July. You know, that will change my fantasy uh, outlook. He hasn't been that guy. It, it's concerning that he may never be that guy. Um, Luckily for me, I've got enough guys kind of picking up the slack. One of the best pickups I had, I drafted Pete Alonzo oh, yeah. really late in, in March. Uh, I think it was my second last or my last pick, but I had an eyeball on him the whole time. I, I mean, how could you predict the, the type of season he's having? I knew he was good. You know, I was hopeful for this to happen, and, you know, he's exceeded expectations. So, you know, to have a guy like that and, and have a, you know, perennial 300 all, all-star, $300 million guy, you know, not really live up to the fantasy needs of my ball club. It's tough. It's, it's, as soon as Bryce Harper does what he's paid to do, I'll have a chance, and that's why I've been hesitant to unload guys or look to sell. Well, in your league, you have Harper for 800 years because you're ridiculous. Uh, you could keep players for as long as you want. I don't, I don't understand the appeal of being in that league. Like, you get to control Bryce Harper forever. That shouldn't happen <laughs> in a fantasy league. That should be like a... Okay, you get him for this many years or whatever, but we'll get into that. We may have uh, to bring up the next CBA negotiations. (laughs) We'll we'll deal with that as we go. Uh, Lastly, in fantasy baseball, depending on what kind of a league you're in, like in my league, we're allowed 10 rookies. So you have 10 guys. So uh, Caven Biggio would probably not be on my major league roster right now in my league. He's he's on somebody's roster in the minor leagues because it's your, I guess it depends on, I, I like uh, Vlad. I would be starting in my in my lineup. Biggio, I'm not sure, but he hit two home runs the other day. And if you are in a league that does not have a keeper system and you have roster room, I would be. I would be. This is what I would be totally doing is I'd be looking at all the top, um, you know, the rookie of the years candidates like the Vlads. They're already going to be on a roster. But start looking at all these other guys yeah. and stockpiling for the next two, three years. Yeah, if you if you have the ability, to if do you have that, the room. Oh yeah, there, there's a ton of arms down in in Double A that are going to be up soon, and they're going to be really good. So if you can if you can find those guys, you know, you and you have room to do that now. Yeah, it's it's getting close to that time. You might as well get them first. Play ball. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. 
Our trivia question this week, we heard from Matt Stairs, who is the all-time Major League Baseball pinch-hitting home run leader. That's an awful lot to get on a business card, but it is a pretty cool title. And that's what Matt Stairs, uh, his record is. He has the most home runs as a pinch hitter at 23. We want to know, who is second behind Matt Stairs? Here's a hint. He played four seasons for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he has a great baseball card. You a big card collector as a kid? I loved them. I love these. And I loved uh, some of the ones that would like the little uh, bubble. It'd be like, now with the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, traded or different (laughs) things. But I love baseball cards and uh, the the faces and the picture. There's a great Twitter account, That 70s Sports, it's called. And he puts out a ton of old baseball cards. Some of those seventies baseball cards are, oh, there, are classic. There's some great, uh, there's some great salads going on underneath the caps. <laughs> By the way, our uh, our trivia question from last week: Who was the last pitcher to throw a no hitter in Major League Baseball? Mike Fires from the Oakland A's, May seventh of this year. It was his second. He also had one in 2015. A guy I just picked up off uh, waivers a couple of weeks ago and got me two wins. Didn't work out for me in fantasy baseball, but. Uh, still, so that's a, to take me out to the baseball game. We want to take you out to the game. All you have to do is send us uh, the answer to our trivia question this week. Who is second to Matt Stairs when it comes to all-time pinch hit home runs? Email us prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com and you could be going to a, an upcoming prospects game. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Bonds with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. So today on All-Time Team, we are looking at third base, a position that Jordan played. And uh, obviously, uh, you have some excitement about this. So so I'll let you go first because this is your uh, position. And uh, let's talk about your favorite third baseman of all time. This is a position you played, so you probably have a lot of different options. But who's number one for you when it comes to favorite third baseman of all time? Yeah, yeah, no, it, uh, there's been so many good ones. Uh, my favorite one of all time, it's, uh, it's a human vacuum cleaner. Uh, that's on his Wikipedia page. It's Brooks Robinson, Brooksy. Uh, the, the, it's like what Aaron Arenado looks like now is what Brooksy was doing, those plays on the backhand, throwing on the run, you know, leaping up in the air, the Barry Larkin type things, and Barry Larkin wasn't around yet. You know, I played 23 years or, or something like that with Baltimore, same franchise, iconic player, could swing it. Um, difference maker defensively, which I love. You know, it's such an important position because balls get by you down there, and they can be doubles, you know, down the line. And um, it, like some of the old highlights I've got to see. Obviously, I wasn't around to to see his career, but uh, you know, growing up, knowing about him, reading about him, and, and then as as you know, the the internet's become more prevalent. Uh, you, have, you have the opportunity to see some of the stuff that they've got out on him. You know, what a dynamic player. Um, you know, franchise guy, gold glover, um, you know, the, the human vacuum cleaner is a great, great, uh, nickname to have as a defender. And, and so, yeah, my favorite of all time is Brooks Robinson, Baltimore Orioles. Okay. So that's your favorite or do you, oh, sorry, that's a, the, my best. Do you all think time. is the yeah, best yeah, of all time. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's uh, that's your best. So I'll skip to best then, and we'll do favorites uh, after. Okay. I think George Brett is the uh, the best uh, of all time. Now, defensively, um, maybe he's he's he, you know it doesn't match up to uh, Brooks Robinson, but when you look at and you know like I had a hard time going with either George Brett or Mike Schmidt, you, you know the power <laughs> guy or you know the guy who hit. A ton of uh, baseballs, you know. Well, you George Brett, forty-four Schmidt, home runs. Yeah, five. Yeah, over. Yeah, something like that. George Brett did not have as many home runs. The, the most he had in a season was thirty, I believe. He had three hundred and seventeen home runs, but he hit a career three hundred five over twenty-one years, three ninety in nineteen eighty, uh, an OPS of one point one one eight. He hit 333. He led Major League Baseball three years, 329. And then I go down uh, to some really important uh, numbers, and that's his postseason hitting. He has a uh, lifetime World Series average. He's played in two World Series, 373 batting average, a, f- a 439 on base percentage. So this is a guy who was clutch, he won a World Series. We remember the pine tar yeah, incident. Yeah. He had some flair to his game, <laughs> so that's why I'm looking at George Brett, uh, especially uh, offensively, as you know the for me the best third baseman of all time. Now I'll go with my favorite, and then we'll get uh, your favorite. And my favorite is Robin Ventura, who you know was a uh, you know I wouldn't I don't think anybody's ever going to confuse him as the best third baseman of all time, but he was a pretty, pretty good. Uh, third baseman, you know, he had uh, a few seasons of uh, 30 plus home runs, hit 294 home runs in his career. Um, you know, was a pretty decent hitter, 267. But I, I don't know what it was that I loved about. It. I was, I, you know, I was in like a White Sox phase back then. I think the big hurt was there uh, with Ventura at a time. So I was like, ah, I like this Robin Ventura time. Here's Ventura RBI single in the first. Watch out! Look at this. And then uh, not so much when he tried to fight Nolan Ryan because that was, uh, you know, uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, what are you, what are you doing here? Uh, you used to be my favorite player, and you made such a bad judgment call trying to fight Nolan Ryan. He's got old man strength. Don't do it. And so when he went out to the mound, it was kind of like, and Nolan might, Ryan was like, I might, yeah, I'm going to go get you. Yeah, and Nolan Ryan was just like, yeah, bring it, man. Dude. I'm an old man, and I'm going to beat you down. But I loved uh, just Robin Ventura with those uh, the, the White Sox teams. Uh, in the uh, late 80s and uh, in, into the 90s. Um, I, I just, uh, I don't know what it was uh, specifically, but he was a he's solid beauty. player. He's and that beauty. was just in that time frame. Uh, so he's kind of my, he, he goes down as my favorite uh, third baseman of all time. But going back to Brooks Robinson, you have, you have Brooks Robinson, you have Cal Ripken Jr. Like that, the left, you have two of the greatest left side infielders of all time in your franchise. It's pretty impressive. Who's your favorite then of all time when it comes to the third base? My favorite uh, is playing the game right now. It's it's Nolan Arenado. Um, you know, for for me, it's like uh, the the new age Brooks Robinson defensively. That's that's how good I think he is, uh, in my opinion. Um, uh, with a, with more pop, like game changer. Dude's got four four All Star games, six Gold Gloves already. I, I mean, he's piling up Gold Gloves, going out of style with that. Um, Hits bombs, drives in runs, quality at bat. Um, I love his highlight reel. He, he's got my favorite highlight reel. You know, if you, you YouTube players and and you get to, you get a chance to see a whole collection of the plays they make. 
you know, it's mind blowing the level of athleticism he has for his size. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fun to watch. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. Uh, my, my favorite right now, uh, it's Nolan Arenado. So this is how you can participate in all-time team. Send us your list for the best and or favorite players of all time at each position, as well as relief pitcher and DH. Um, you can pick a middle reliever if you want. Uh, I, most people, I think, are going to go with closers, but that's totally <laughs> up to you, man. Uh, so you're going to have two different winners. One is somebody is going to win for the best team and somebody is going to win for their favorite team. And the winners will receive winter banquet tickets. And of course, uh, Jordan and I are revealing our team one position at a time. And then we will uh, get to some other, there's some good ones that have come in that we'll get to uh, maybe on the, uh, the next show for sure. So that is uh, all time team. And we finished today with uh, then versus now where we discuss something uh, in the past compared to the current day and, you know, how do we not look at pinch hitters? We have the uh, the greatest uh, home run pinch hitting, or the greatest home run pinch hitter of all time in Major League Baseball. Matt Stairs was just on with us. 23 Major League Baseball home runs. And I loved his philosophy where he came up and wasn't expecting to get a hit. It was just amazing to hear him break down the mentality of a pinch hitter because, you know, before we get into then versus now, as a baseball player, when you... So the let's say it's the bottom of the third inning. I'm the last out. And then I go out into the field, and then I come back in, and I'm not really on the ball. I don't know. Or, you know I'm not like looking directly at uh, what I have to do next until I come up to bat. You're, you know, you're probably doing other things. You're processing things. You're watching the game. But you're not probably paying as, I know, you're not maybe into the zone as, as if you were coming up on deck, so to speak, right? So you're doing other things. As a pinch hitter, aren't you always in that situation? Yeah, you, you know, you, you got the scouting reports there. You have a pretty good idea of who you may match up against. And, you know, Matt kind of alluded to you. But it could be like the fourth inning they go to you or... Well, I think in Matt's case... Uh, he was a late inning they're, guy? They're going to save that bullet. Okay, yeah, you got okay. three or four bullets on the bench. You know, so you different types early. of hitters yeah. fit different types of situations yeah, earlier sure. in the game. For sure. You okay. know, no doubt uh, if something happens in, on the pitching staff and... It's a national league, and they've got to do something sure. early. Sometimes you'll let the guy hit, or you know, let the reliever hit. You know, based on you can need to manage this game out through the 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 back end of the game, and make sure you have that bullet in the chamber when you need it. Which okay. is you know seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and you know when you have Matt Stair sitting on your bench, he's he's your bullet. So, so I guess it depends on the type of pinch hitter that you are, whether you're, for you're sure. you know. So anyway, he was a guy that was. A late in games game. Yeah. You know, we, we remember 2008 game four off Broxton where it led to a World Series. Still talked about to this yeah. day as one of the most important home runs in Philadelphia Phillies history. So how do you think uh, pinch hitting has changed? I guess uh, what, what, you want to go back 10, 15 years. Uh, you know, Matt Stairs played, I th- what was it? Uh, old it? 90s into the Yeah, so, so, you know, in, in his career, he probably saw it, it evolve, but... How do you think pinch hit has pinch hitting and the way you use a pinch hitter changed in baseball today? I think that nowadays there's a little bit more versatility with your lineup as you you have a couple different guys going to get 400, 450 at bats and you kind of cycle them through on a rotation a little bit to get them playing time versus, you know, you're starting nine and then a couple pieces on the bench that, you know, play once a week, but they're your pinch hitters. I think that was more how it was, uh, no, not that long ago. 
Uh, now the versatility, I think, is increased in the game of baseball where, you know, your ability to play second, third, left, right, like the Calvin Biggio's coming up, you know, that, that versatility is played into, um, you know, being able to give guys off days and moving guys around. So I think that, you know, as a manager, you, you, you're not always predicting who your pinch here is going to be because it's changing all the time. You know, you don't necessarily have Matt Stairs sitting there all the time because of the versatility. You know, you're playing three or four times a week. So um, some of those decisions change. You know, obviously we talk about uh, pitching and how that's changed with openers and guys going an inning or two to start a game. You know, in the American League, that's easy to do. You know, you don't have to worry about pinch hitting per se for the pitcher, obviously. In the National League, that's a different story. Um, so if a National League team wants to use an opener, what are you doing? Um, if you go to your starter, you know, is he going to hit for himself? Are you going to try and use the opener until the starter comes up? And then on top of that, when you're playing interleague and, you know, Tampa Bay comes in with, you know, they're prevalent with the opener idea, you know, you might, you might get through two pitchers already and the eight or nine spot in your lineup hasn't come up yet. You know, so there's some, some strategy and some decisions attached to that that are, that are new to the game. So, you know, your new age managers have, you know, obviously developed formulas uh, of how they want to approach those things and where and when they want to make decisions. So I think for sure the, the, the art of pinch hitting, you know, maybe the art and the focus and the game plan hasn't changed as much, but the usage I think definitely has. All right, that'll wrap things up for episode five of the Prospects Baseball Show. Uh, of course, Matt Stairs was an awesome guest. He'll be in town for the All-Star Game, July 7th. Really yeah. looking forward to that. Hopefully he takes in the he home did, run derby. Drop that a little bit I on know. us at the teaser. Wouldn't that be awesome <laughs> to see Matt Stairs pound balls out oh, of uh, Remax so Field great. like he did for uh, the Edmonton Trappers. Trap. So that will be awesome to check out in the coming weeks. Uh, anything you need to get in touch with us, uh, get us on Twitter at ProspectsPod or Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com. Good luck on the road this week, man. Thanks, Have Dino. fun at Bond. Uh, you know, feel free to uh, just to tell all the uh, the ba- ball players to throw on the prospects baseball show on the bus ride. Yeah, for sure. You guys watch movies or like what's, oh, what's the, the yeah movies for sure? Yeah, you know, like guys are on coaches uh, or the players pick the movies. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know if that that might stay in the clubhouse oh, a little bit. Oh, okay. uh, we've got some good choices. Uh, like I've picked a couple, not that I need to. You know, we're up at the front of the bus where but the movies are. But it's amazing to see the difference in your movie taste and the players. <laughs> that might be a, an episode we we do someday as we, we, we talk about the difference. The we'll we'll bring the next guy in. Yeah. Good luck on the road this week, though. Thanks, have Dino. fun. Appreciate it. All right, that's the Prospects Baseball Show. I'm Dean Millard. He's Jordan Blundell. Ban the shift. It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game!